This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute, online at davenantinstitute.org. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Greetings. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, the uh, co-host, along with my friend here, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Did I get that right? I think so. And you know, Carl, you and I have only known each other for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. We so have. That, that you're we finally have. getting this right. It warms my heart. Well, you keep changing churches. I mean, every seven or eight years, you know, you've, you've, you've split one and you move on to the next. It's very confusing. For, 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 you are such an awful human being. Hey, it's your birthday tomorrow. Is that right? It, it is. And you just had a birthday. I did, We're both I, the same age. We, tom- today, I'm a year older than you. Tomorrow, we'll both be 54. 54. Uh, and if yeah. listeners remember, of course, our lives, though we only met 13, 14, 15 years ago, our mm-hmm. lives have been uncannily parallel because we, we got married within days of each other. That's true. Uh, to women who are far above our far station, superior. far yes. superior to us. So it's, exactly. it's been uncanny. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm from Texas. You're from New Jersey. Uh, I, am, so I am. The whole English thing is, yeah. is made up. It's a yeah. con. Yeah. So, Trent, yeah. Trenton is my, my home ground. <laughs> I've actually visited Trenton tw- three times, once to take my kids to the zoo, twice because late at night I took the wrong turn. <laughs> off the road and trenton is not a good a place to be idea. when you don't know where you're going at like one in the morning so anyway <laughs> we have a special guest today it's a great pleasure uh, to have on the show once again uh, a man who has recently caused questions to be asked on capitol hill he is of course ryan t anderson Ryan uh, worked for many years for the Heritage Foundation. He helped found Public Discourse, which we have recommended many times from this program. If you do not subscribe to Public Discourse, it's a free daily bulletin. You get an article around about seven o'clock every morning. You will get a thoughtful article on some aspect of contemporary society or culture. Subscribe now if you don't subscribe. It's a great free resource. And I've I've told people, if you are not subscribing to Public Discourse, discourse at this point you're just being silly you're being a silly human being absolutely if, if you don't subscribe to public discourse yeah. well ryan has recently left the heritage foundation and become president of the ethics and public policy center in washington which is one of the most important conservative think tanks uh, in washington dc uh, more important now i think than ever as uh, what are often referred to as the judeo-christian values of the west in general and america in particular are coming under fierce attack Uh, The Ethics and Public Policy Center is going to be one of those central places for thoughtful responses to the wave of cultural revolution that we're now facing. More recently, even than that, though, Ryan has hit the headlines because uh, the quintessential Bond villain of our day, Jeff Bezos, (laughs) uh, has canceled his book, 
uh, when Harry became Sally, which uh, for many of us was a watershed text and mm. a very measured, calm assessment analysis of trans ideology and the potential impact of transgenderism upon our society. And since then, Ryan has been uh, the center of a, a swirl of controversy or controversy, I think, as you would Thank say, you. Todd. Uh, and even questions on Capitol Hill have been raised. The issue, of course, of the cancelling raises a whole host of questions, not just about trans ideology. Also, it raises questions about censorship. It raises questions about big tech. It raises questions about the practical monopoly that some of these huge companies uh, have. It raises questions about the the power of democratic institutions when mm -hmm. the real power now seems to reside elsewhere in institutions that are not democratically accountable. So, Ryan, it's a great pleasure to have you on the, the program today. Uh, what's your life been like the last few weeks? Well, first, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure um, to be with you guys uh, Past few weeks have been busy, um, been a little stressful as well. Uh, I mean, this this came totally out of the blue. Um, you know, the last day of January was my last day at Heritage. February first was my first day at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and then I don't know when exactly it happened. It was sometime around the middle of February or the end of February. You know, one day I just discovered that Amazon has disappeared my book. Or, you know, it's a it's a, a, a three year old. Uh, book and all of a sudden it's gone right before the House of Representatives is set to vote on the Equality Act. And so ever since then, um, you know, all the plans that I had for the first couple of weeks at EPPC have just been, you know, put on hold because, you know, this has become a, a, a major issue that we got to get right because I think too many conservatives are um, primed to think that big government is the only threat to liberty and to flourishing. And I think more and more uh, conservatives are realizing that big business and especially big tech can also be threats to liberty rightly understood and flourishing rightly understood. Uh, so it's actually, it's a huge opportunity, right? Because, you know, this was on the agenda, things to get done at EBPC. We just had to move it, you know, up a little bit. But I mean, the long-term implications of this, um, not just for me personally, but for, you know, anyone who wants to be writing in the public square about the truth on controversial issues, there are some serious long-term implications of this. If, you know, a near monopoly like Amazon can just exercise its, um, you know, market dominance uh, in such arbitrary and, you know, possibly discriminatory ways. You know, what, what we seem to have with uh, Amazon, and as you mentioned, big tech in general, uh, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, is what, um, you know, Rod Dreher and others have, have warned about in terms of, you know, the, the, the phrase woke capitalism. And really what we have with these big tech companies seems to be kind of a functional oligarchy in a lot of ways. And it ought to, cons it ought to concern everybody. It ought to especially concern uh, conservatives because we believe in capitalism. And what you have with Amazon sure seems to be something more akin to crony capitalism. Um, we don't like monopolies because we like a free market. And with just a handful of, of very powerful, very, very wealthy men who tend to donate their money in one direction, uh, you have a, I think as you, you just termed it, kind of a, a, a functional monopoly um, on these things. And so this is not a, a, about, um, hey, everyone has to carry my book. This is about what, 
What happens when um, one company, uh, which controls the majority of the business, um, begins to lock out uh, an entire uh, perspective, which represents, you know, a good at least half of the United States? And this ought to concern people, should it not? Oh, of course it should. And and the way you set up the question is really good because uh, I think too many um, kind of conservatives are prone to say, look, it's a private business and private right. businesses can do whatever they want. And that's really not true. And it's never <laughs> been true, either under the natural law or under American law. I mean, all of yeah. our liberties have limits. And so right. we have anti-discrimination laws that limit the liberties of private business owners. We have antitrust and anti-monopoly laws that limit mm. uh, the liberties of business owners. We have laws that regulate common carriers and public utilities. So even a privately owned you know, electric company can't say we don't provide electricity to you know, a conservative organization or a religious organization. Like, you know, what would happen to your church if, you know, a privately owned phone company or power company, which, you know, is, is classified and regulated as a public utility common carrier says, Oh, we, we, we don't serve churches. Right. So we've always said there are limits to liberties, even of private businesses. And the way you described it was really good because it seems like what we have here isn't the historic form of a, um, of a monopoly that uses its market power for economic reasons, right? I mean, what mm-hmm. we've seen with kind of um, big businesses in the past is that they're, they're making decisions based on how they can capture more of the market to exclude competitors. Here you see something right. that's driven ideologically, and it's almost like you see a form of integration um, amongst different big tech companies where Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, they might have different ownership and they might have different economic um, uh, uh, interests, but they have a common ideological interest, right? And so it's a nor- new form of almost uh, ideological collusion, not economic uh, collusion. Yeah. And there's no, there need not be any kind of explicit collusion in the historical sense. It's just that all of the elites share a similar ideology and they're using their market power, right? To, uh, you know, harm, as you said, half of America, right? right. The half of America that agrees with you, me and Carl, about, you know, the importance of the body. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because as, as you, as you suggest there, uh, th- there doesn't need to be any smoke filled back room for any of this to happen. It, it just, it just needs, it, just, just like with, uh, you know, the, the entertainment industry and, and the news media, there doesn't need to be any quote conspiracy or backroom deals. You just need for 98% of the people in the room to all think the same way, which they do. And, uh, and, and so that, that kind of, uh, cooperation between them and that kind of um, ideological nexus, which goes on between certain politicians and these now uh, woke capitalists. Uh, again, you, you don't have to have any kind of quote conspiracy. Uh, you just have to have people being people um, who are committed to making sure that voices like yours are not heard. And that's what they're doing. Uh, I mean, it that's is exactly right. It is interesting that, you know, there are, Harsher books on the trans issue yeah. still yeah. stocked by Amazon. I know a lot of people have picked up that. You know, Mein Kampf is still uh, is still there. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think I read Mein Kampf as part of a school project. I think when I was seventeen or eighteen, I'm pretty sure that I was struck by language of a vermin being used about. Jews. I mean, it's a very, you know, it's written by Hitler. I was going to say, it's a very strong book. You know. He was a man of strong opinions, Adolf Hitler, and strong, violently unpleasant 
opinions yeah. goes without saying. And Ryan, we we engaged a little bit on email, and I was telling you that the week you were banned, I, I think I had three emails from Amazon encouraging me to buy the latest work by Theodore Kaczynski. Uh, <laughs> better known to the American public as the Unabomber, you know, the most notorious, after, probably after Timothy McVeigh, the most notorious domestic terrorist the nation has produced in the last hundred years. Uh, do you think, Ryan, that I'm, uh, this is a, an obvious question, I suppose, but it looks to me as if they're picking on you because you've just become president of the EPPC and the sort of stuff you are writing about the Equality Act? The, uh, the timing is highly suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So if you put it all together, you know, I just become um, the president of, you know, the most outspokenly, explicitly Judeo-Christian, socially conservative think tank in D.C. Uh, the previous week, we had put out a press release opposing the Becerra nomination as HHS um, and the Equality Act. Um, the House of Representatives was set to vote on the Equality Act later that week when Amazon had removed the book. And after selling the book for three years, they only remove it once Donald Trump is no longer president, Bill Barr is no longer attorney general, and Senator Hawley is no longer part of the majority where he can convene hearings and have you know various uh, 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 fact-finding and subpoena powers. So when you put all these things together, Carl, I, I think you're right. It looks, um, it looks like it was targeted, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, hopefully, I don't know if you guys saw, but just, um, I guess it was two days ago now, uh, the Attorney General of Indiana uh, sent a formal letter of inquiry to Jeff Bezos, you know, demanding answers. Yes. And so there's a live question to my mind as to whether or not, you know, there were laws that were broken here. Uh, Seattle has a uh, an anti-discrimination statute where political ideology is a protected characteristic. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander, yeah, yeah. right? Amazon filed an amicus brief uh, against Jack Phillips, the baker. Uh, let's hold them to their own standard, right? So I mean, it looks to me like they're discriminating against me based upon my political yeah. uh, ideology, which is a protected characteristic in the city where they're incorporated. So we're going to have to explore all of this. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, these are very worrying developments. Do you think that, you know, we talked, mentioned briefly earlier, antitrust legislation. Do you think there's any hope at this point that this juggernaut can be, can be stopped in its tracks? Or is this the wave of the future for the next 10, 15, 20 years? It's, it's hard. I mean, we're in unknown territory, it seems to me here. We've never had tech companies like this with this sort of reach uh, before. It's hard to see, from my perspective, how we can address this situation. Do you have any sort of positive proposals as to how we might go about? I don't yet know what the right legislative answer is. Um, you know, I, I think there are smart people working on that, and we need to encourage that work. I think, you know, the, the first starting point would be, you know, we shouldn't uh, pretend that we're still living in Ronald Reagan's America where we can just say, just leave it to free market, right? I, I think that would be uh, uh, misguided. That said, I mean, I think we also need to be aware that sometimes bad legislation could actually make things worse, right? I mean, and this is the idea that, you know, um, scholars refer to as regulatory capture, where, you know, it's precisely the big businesses that help write the regulations that then regulate them in order to keep out their competitors, right? And, and we see a lot of evidence that this happens where, um, you know, new regulations, you know, I think right now Facebook is calling for new regulations precisely because it knows they can comply with it in a way that, you know, any of its upstart competitors wouldn't be able to. So I mean, that's 
between those two extremes, you know, the do nothing, don't think about anything. There's not a problem on one side. And then the anything government does will just make things worse side. Right? We, we want to be the Aristotelians that say virtue is the mean between two extremes. And we want to think through, I mean, what if we applied, you know, First Amendment style standards to certain um, private businesses that have become public forums, right? Uh, we have a First Amendment doctrine known as the limited public forum doctrine, and it applies to, you know, government property like schools that open themselves up to the public uh, to rent out on the weekends. And this, this doctrine has been really important because it says, look, if, if you're going to rent yourself out on Saturday to the 4-H club and, you know, on Sunday afternoon to like um, the drag show story hour, well, you also need to open yourself up Sunday morning to churches. Right? And the idea here is that you need to not discriminate against who has access to a limited public forum based on you know their religious identity or their uh, their speech. Possibly, I'm thinking out loud with you guys, but maybe something like that could be applied to Facebook, Twitter, Amazon. Um, that you know, a First Amendment standard is what should be applied. I, I know other people have said they should just voluntarily adopt that standard. Uh, if they aren't going to voluntarily adopt it, you know, we might think about legislatively saying that you know, once you reach a certain size of the market, if you control 70, 80 percent of all book sales in America, mm -hmm. you might want to have um, a regulation like that. Again, I'm thinking out loud with you guys. I, all I know is that we need to be doing this thinking, right? And, and that strikes me as like the bottom line takeaway here is that we can't just say um, anything we do will be a problem and, and therefore, you know, don't do anything, right? Right. And, and where, where we need to be concerned about this, again, just think about the combination of, of Amazon and Apple and how much of our lives now have come to depend upon the conveniences and the technology that they provide for the average American. Um, Ten years ago, um, I, I said I, I'd never bother with um, buying books online when I can just run up to Barnes and Noble and buy it. Well, now I only buy my books online. And the uh, the, the the power that that Apple has over the kinds of uh, conveniences that, that that we take advantage of. And so, again, as conservatives, it's not enough to just simply say, ah, you know, that's private business. That's the market. That's the way it works. Conservatives have always opposed monopolies for very good reasons, because monopolies are bad for people, typically. And and now we're in a brand new world, technologically speaking, um, where companies like Amazon and Apple have a greater influence on our lives than most any other company I can think of uh, during my lifetime. And so uh, we're, we're in a we're in a brave new world in that sense. And so I, I think you're absolutely right that that these are the kinds of situations where we do have to think about regulations. Again, uh, conservatives do believe that some regulations are necessary. We're not anarchists. We do believe that some regulations are necessary. And when you have an unholy alliance of particular powerful politicians and a handful of big tech companies, um, conservatives don't like that because it's bad for people. And so I hope that we can keep that in mind in these days. Yeah. And Todd, you, you said something really important there where you said, you know, 10 or so years ago, you would never have you know, even considered buying a book from Amazon. You would just walk down right. the street and buy it from your local bookstore. And look what happened. You know, Amazon right. uh, sold itself to the public and they now have like millions of subscribers to Amazon Prime. You know, people who shell out one hundred dollars a year to Absolutely. become a member of Amazon Prime so they can get next day delivery and all this. And, and the way right. that they sold themselves to the public was that we're the everything store. We carry 
everything you could want to buy. We don't have a distinctive religious identity or a distinctive um, political identity. So we sell religious books and secular books. We sell conservative books and liberal books. And then they put out of business a lot of independent bookstores that did have distinctive identities. And now that they've captured the market, they put out of business all the mom and pop stores because they created such a convenient way of selling stuff. Now they're using that market dominance to put their thumb on the scale, right? And that's, I think, exactly what should be raising questions uh, for state AGs and for other kind of conservatives as we think about what do we do, right? But we can't be blasé and say, oh, it's not a problem. And one of the most disturbing things for me in the whole thing, Ryan, was how long it took you to actually get an answer from them as to why they'd cancelled your book. And I think the the ultimate answer was they claimed that you had said that transgender people were were mentally ill or something like yeah. that. Is that is that correct? That's right. So it took about three weeks, and they never actually responded to. Um, let me rephrase that. They first responded to the appeal that came from four senators before they ever replied. Uh, to the appeal that my publisher filed. Um, They hadn't notified me or the publisher or the distributor ahead of time in violation of their own pronounced policy. Uh, They just, you know, disappeared the book. Four senators wrote them a letter asking why. And the only thing they would say, and they kept repeating it as their answer to each of the questions that the senators asked, was that we don't sell books that uh, characterize LGBT identity as, as mental illness. Now, two things there are just false, you know, possibly libelous uh, smears about me in the book is that one, I never discuss LGBT identities uh, as this, that, or the other thing, right? The book's not about identities uh, in that sense. Uh, Two, I never even described gender dysphoria as a mental illness, right? Mm -hmm. And, And there are all sorts of endless debates among clinicians as to, is it a disorder or an illness or a condition? I intentionally bypass that discussion to say whatever it is, the appropriate response isn't hormones and surgery. The appropriate response is to help people feel comfortable in their body. And the reason I did that, it, it, I think it's actually, uh, you know, it's worth spending a minute or two on, is that the analogy that I draw um, is to anorexia. Uh, and, and imagine a high school girl who struggles with anorexia. The appropriate response is not liposuction because there's nothing wrong with her body. Right? The appropriate response is to figure out why does she have anorexia? Why does she feel uncomfortable in her body? Why does she struggle with an eating uh, um, uh, disorder? But none of us would say the high school girl with anorexia is mentally ill, right? Because we all recognize that that sort of language can be a little stigmatizing. It can be a little, um, you know, pathologizing. It's not helpful rhetoric, which is why I intentionally didn't use that. And first, the Washington Post three years ago falsely accused me of using that language, and now Amazon does, right? Because they're, what they're trying to do, this is part of a larger uh, campaign, obviously, is to try to paint me in the book as some like bomb-throwing right-wing nut job yeah. to discredit me right before Congress is debating a major piece of legislation, right? I mean, so, I, mean I think that's what's important for uh, people to see what's going on here, is that the way in which the left engages in these sorts of things is by distorting what people have actually said, in order to discredit them, in order to then use their market power to shut down debates. I mean, that's the game that's going on here. Yeah, to use, I think it's Andrew Sullivan in, in an article you sent to me yesterday, Todd, about the Atlanta shootings. Use that phrase, yeah. you know, the narrative has become the news. It's not the exactly. news drives narrative anymore. It's narrative drives news. And, and the, the treatment of Ryan would seem to me to be first class example of, of yeah. precisely that. 
Yeah, and and of course, part of the concern here is that, uh, you know, Carl, I think you mentioned earlier that um, Ryan's book is not this angry screed, uh, although you'd think it must be because of the treatment it received on Amazon. It's actually a very thoughtful, very gentle way for him to make his argument. But again, it shows that any deviation from what is demanded now, no matter how gently you make it, no matter how reasonable you are, in your um, in your dissent, it will not be tolerated. And you know, and the fact is, we we do have an issue here for these. You know, I mean, I'm a pastor. I, I call them poor souls that are struggling with something that's wrong. If I have a man come into my church and say, "I don't know what's wrong. I just know that my right leg does not belong on my body," we we'd get this man some help. We'd know that something is wrong. And Everybody in America would agree with me on that. Yeah, I mean, if a guy comes up to me and says, I don't know what's going on. I just know that this right leg does not belong to me. We'd understand that this poor fellow needs some help and we'd want to get them some help. Um, we, we wouldn't send them to a doctor or send them to a warehouse somewhere where somebody can remove that right leg. Now, why? Well, I mean, I'm asking this rhetorically, obviously, but why that changes all of a sudden with just another part of the body, geographically speaking, you know, speaks to to what is going on here and the cruelty of the ideology, the trans ideology. Uh, again, you know, the trans ideologist would say, no, of course, you don't remove the man's right leg. Um, but but they are in favor of surgical mutilation for for another issue. And, there, yeah. and there's a desperate cruelty to that. Todd, that, that's exactly right. And, and think about now what the um, the outcome, you know, what, what does Amazon's decision do? And I think it has two big uh, impacts. The person who would be inclined to write a book like mine might say, screw it, right? Yeah. Even if someone who was as um, attentive to detail and rigorous in citing his sources and charitable in his rhetoric, even if that guy gets mm-hmm. censored by Amazon, I'm not even going to try to write a book like that. Right. And so there's a self-censorship that takes place. But then the other possible outcome is someone else says, screw it. I'm just going to throw the bomb because even if, you know, I try to do the like reasonable charitable thing, I'm still going to be accused of being a bomb thrower and it's much easier to be a bomb thrower and it's you know better for my social media following and all the rest. (laughs) And so here, I mean, like, so imagine what this now means is that like we create a vacuum of people speaking about these issues the way that you and Carl and I do, and people who would be speaking the way you, Carl, and I do go quiet, and then other people, um, you know, amp it up to the ninth degree. And and one of the things that I say in the book is that, look, it's not helpful to um, use rhetoric that will drive people struggling with gender dysphoria away from us, right? I want people struggling with gender dysphoria Todd, going to your church, going to Carl's church, having conversations with you, Carl, and me, because I want them to be, you know, listening to what we have to say and considering what we have to say. If we say it in a way that immediately uh, shuts down discussion, says it in a way that immediately turns them off, then they're not even in conversations with us, right? And and that's my, you know, one of the long-term concerns here is that Amazon is actually being counterproductive for its own self-professed goals, right? Their self-professed goals right. that they want more people treating, you know, individuals who identify as transgender with civility and charity. Well, actually what they've, the probable, the likely outcome of this is that certain people will now just go quiet and other people yeah. will now ramp up their rhetoric. Yeah. If you silence the charitable dissenters, then all you're going to do is create a space for the flame throwing. 
uh, dissenters. Yeah, yeah. And then the people who suffer most are the people who who aren't getting the help that they deserve. I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, I think all three of us, like what we care most about here is that you use the example of someone who doesn't feel like their right leg belongs to their body, right? That person isn't faking it. He's not making it up. He didn't choose it. The same thing is true for the person struggling with gender dysphoria, right? These high school and college age girls who don't feel comfortable growing into women, right? There's something wrong with our culture that this is happening and they're not getting exactly. the, 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 the compassionate response and help that they need. And this is only going to um, further delay them from receiving the help that they deserve. Exactly. Because in a sane culture, we would not say to those young women, now the answer for you is mutilation and, um, and, and hormones that will render your body will do your body irreversible damage and and render you uh, sterile. A sane and a good and a moral society would not say that to these poor young women. Uh, It would offer them help so that they can uh, uh, be who God has created them to be. They would be what, what every single cell in their body declares them to be rather than mutilating them and destroying them. You use that phrase "irreversible damage," and I. You've probably already mentioned this for your listeners, but you know, just in case not, it's an outstanding book yes. by that title yes, by Abigail is. Schreier. And you yep. know, I would just you know so highly recommend that book to our listeners right now. Um, Couldn't agree more. And thank you. What's amazing here is that Target refused to sell her book for a long time. I think they might That's still right. be. I mean, I think that it went back for sale. Now it's been removed again. I, I haven't kept up with it, but you know, she has been targeted. Uh, by Target, you know, me for Amazon. Um, there's a reason why they don't want you reading these two books. And so I would just, you know, encourage listeners, get Abigail's book. She did a great job earlier this week testifying against the Equality Act. Um, That's right. Yes. Uh, she did. I'm glad you brought that up. I would encourage our folks to, to do a Google search on that. Go to YouTube and, and, and check out her testimony. Well, this has been a, uh, I, I wish we had more time, uh, but our, our discussion has been with uh, Ryan Anderson, and Ryan is known to a lot of folks who who listen to our program. He is uh, the head of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Uh, encourage that work. Uh, get on their website. They're doing outstanding work. Uh, subscribe to Public Policy. And, and if you haven't purchased and read When Harry Became Sally, you ought to do that. And if nothing else, go to the website, mortificationofspin.org, and you can enter to win a free copy free to you at least, of uh, Ryan Anderson's excellent book, When Harry Became Sally, and we'd love to send that to you. Um, While you're there, you may make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so they can continue to provide uh, this sort of content. And and let me just second um, uh, Ryan's uh, recommendation to you to get Abigail Shearer's book, Irreversible Damage. Uh, It is excellent, timely, pressing in its need. Both of those books belong in your library so that you can be intellectually equipped to answer uh, this very dangerous ideology that is doing so much harm to our sons and daughters. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Sure. Think, can, can I mention one more book? Are we out of time? Of course. People no, should read Carl's it. book. I mean, like, he can't do his own horn <laughs> and his own podcast. Yeah. But, but his most recent book, I mean, it, 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 yes. isn't, um, it isn't, it isn't explicitly on the transgender, but it explains the deep philosophical, right. historical, theological roots of the rise of, of, of just kind of an identity culture that we are now exactly. in. 
And so I, I would just, you know, commend that as well. You get Carl's book, get Atlas Gale's book. If you really want to understand both kind of like the narrow in kind of like immediate focus of what's going on, that's Abigail's book, the big picture, grand historical narrative of what's going on. That's Carl's book. And we need both, right? We, we, we need to have both the 30,000 foot view and the yes. kind of, you know, investigative journalist view. And I, and I think that pairing is really, really good. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. The checks, um, the checks well, in the post, Ryan. Thanks for that. <laughs> I said it exactly like you told me to. Yeah, you, you read it perfectly. The cue card was just wonderful. <laughs> well, folks, we are uh, so happy that you joined us today. And again, uh, we, we are very much appreciators of, of Ryan Anderson's work. And uh, uh, get on uh, get on uh, websites, get, get uh, the, the posts from uh, public discourse and stay informed on this. Uh, and be a voice of intellectual, sound, um, compassionate reasoning on this and related issues. Well, we look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. Gee, but it's great to be back home. Everywhere I go, I get slandered. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. fun so he's great he's good and you know what way. i like about him the most is that he recognizes that i have great insights we, we need that cut out i, I i'm not happy with that <laughs> Mark, i want you to put that on some kind of a repeat and, and todd you, you said something really important there and todd you, you said something really important there todd you, you said something really important there i'm going to send it to you for your ringtone <laughs> there you go right. that could be the tweet that could be the tweet for this week's program <laughs> yeah yes. i'd love to see some of the viewer response <laughs> <to that. laughs> yeah i just lost all respect for ryan t anderson <laughs> <laughs> todd you make a brilliant point yeah oh. <laughs> the davenant institute seeks to retrieve the wisdom of classical protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church through publications, events, and courses, they equip lay people, pastors, scholars, and Christian educators by connecting them with the theological, ethical, and cultural riches of Protestants' past. Through their online program, Davenant Hall, and their residential study center, Davenant House, they provide two graduate-level degree programs in classical Protestantism and also welcome anyone taking one-off courses in theology, church history, philosophy, and more. Online classes are taught by expert scholars in two-hour weekly Zoom sessions over 10 weeks from just $149 per class. Next term's courses include the Reformation and the Modern World, Unlocking the Book of Romans, Essence and Attributes of God, and many more. Spring term courses begin April 12th. Find out more at davenantinstitute.org and on Facebook and Twitter.